We recorded this episode live during Lightbox 2020, and Charlie has edited it a bit to tighten things up, but it's mostly as is. However, the camera you're seeing me through had technical issues, so we'll just have to be happy with the live stream capture for my side of it. Here we go. We're doing Marshall, our are you going to start here? with some singing? No. Okay. No singing today. You guys are alive. I'm sorry, oh, alive. there will be there will be no songs. Why does it say today. the video is private? Uh, oh, I don't know. People are, are <laughs> okay, I think we're live, Marshall. Are we live? Marshall, look at the camera. We're oh, live. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Draftsman Podcast. My name is Dan Rubenko. I'm Marshall Vandruff. And uh, this is the first time we're doing a live Q&A Draftsman Podcast episode. And we are really, really nervous. I'm not nervous. I am. So <laughs> I think that since I'm nervous, you should be nervous too. I'll be nervous for you. Okay. Uh, Should I spill I'm, I'm my drink quite, on me? I got a different drink this time. Ready. Marshall, what do you, you have? Uh, what do I have? Yeah. I've got Let me real black coffee. coffee. Real black coffee, <laughs> except it's got, it's got a little coconut oil in it. Uh, I, I'm really afraid that if I tip it so that you can see it, that it'll spill. But can you see it? No, well, it's okay. Maybe, Don't spill it. I can, t yeah, I, yeah. I can imagine what black coffee looks like. It's fresh. Hot, and I even put a little honey in it, mm -hmm. which I don't do, but I mm -hmm. figured why not? This is a sweet occasion and we want sweet vibes. I'm drinking so, Camellia Road, my favorite boba. Uh, they use very high quality tea and then for their boba, uh, yeah. they only sweeten it with honey. Oh, well, that's good. That's healthy. Yeah. And well, does it have yeah. caffeine in it? Yeah, it's tea. Woo! <laughs> this is going to be great. Okay. We've uh, wasted but, enough time. Oh, it's already, yeah, it's already after one o'clock in, in Southern California, so we should get started. Do we introduce John or do we tell people that John is here? No one cares. Uh, I care. I you already care. introduced him to you. Let's get going with the questions. Mm. Oh, Marshall, okay, you had questions. questions for the audience. Do you want to start with those? No, because I'm oh. not... I don't have that in front of my okay. face. Give me, give me a moment. I'll have it in front of my face, and we'll we'll go right to it. Okay. This is this is juggling a lot of things here. We. I want to see John. Just, Everybody wants hey. to see John. Okay. While Marshall's preparing the questions, John, why don't you oh, come I'm back? Preparing Switch the over to full view over here so they can see okay. you in full glory. There. Now it's just me. I feel bad because. Bye, Marshall. <laughs> I can't see him. Oh, Marshall. This isn't for you. There's John. No, I see him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, there's John. All right. Great. It was blurry. It's really weird. Is it weird? I'm not used to being a high-profile celeb on the on the Draftsman podcast. Well, you are now a high-profile celeb on the Draftsman podcast. Okay, let's see. I get to go first, then, Stan. Um. Well, you had questions for the audience, so yes. Yes. Uh, here's, here's part of why we're doing this, mm -hmm. is that we talk all the time and we do get questions that you put in the 
the comments on YouTube, but it's not the same as being with you live. And we'd sort of like to hear from you live because we talk all the time. So, this is the opportunity mm -hmm. to get some feedback from you where we can answer and then we can do it. Can we do back and forth with this, Stan? I mean, if we answer, yeah. is there a way to dialogue where yes. the person who asked the question because can... The, as long as the person is still in the chat, if they asked okay. the question like an hour ago and then they left, then... Okay. Well, I, I am going to take a look at what's happening over here on the YouTube chat. And okay, let, I let's think... just get Marshall familiarized with how this works. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, we could start. There's a delay. Yes, Marshall. Don't look at it. Don't look at it. <laughs> <laughs> He's figuring it all out, you guys. Okay. Now there's not a delay and I can see, wow, the chat is moving. Proko, why are you so goofy? Hello to both of you. I love your work. Marshall, your hair is so long now. Yeah. I'm going to do the hippie look. They can see the chat. They can see it. So, you don't have to read the chat to them. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm new to this. So, it's sort of mm -hmm. like a kid getting into a new automobile and you got to click all the buttons. Yeah. I want to see what's happening. Thank you for noticing my hair and my beard. If you've ever seen the movie Castaway that had Tom Hanks in it, I always felt that the way he looked after he'd been on the island for a year or four was the way any human male ought to look much better than that office look. And so now I look exactly like that. Perfect. Now, now Marshall, what did, did you have a question for the audience? <laughs> oh, oh no. no. You don't. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, John. Let's, yeah, let's, let's just go to the questions. Let's find out what the questions are. Rahul Rajiv wants to know when I'm trying to break down an image into 3D forms based on a 2D photo, a bird or a fish, for example, sometimes I find it hard to imagine how certain forms will be or how they are interacting with each other. Hmm. Yeah, that makes well, sense that you would have trouble, especially if you're starting. But if you know form... Mm -hmm. I, I think there's two things here. One is the ability to look at a photo and pick up on the subtle clues about what the form is. That comes from experience. Uh, that comes from drawing from life a lot. And you'll... You know, in, with life, you could see the forms a lot better. It's clear. It hasn't been compressed. It hasn't been processed through the camera and then through the software and then through the monitor you're looking at, whatever. Um, and, but when you, when you study enough from life, you'll get better at picking up all those subtle clues from looking at a photo as well and translating that onto a drawing on paper. The other thing is not understanding the subject you're looking at. So, if you're looking at a photo of a fish but you don't understand the forms of a fish, it's going to be hard even if you have a really good photo in front of you, it's going to be hard to really uh, be able to translate it to an accurate representation of that fish if you don't understand anatomy of a fish. Fish is actually pretty simple. We could talk about like rhinos, elephants, like that becomes much harder. And that's when you start having to learn anatomy of the thing you're looking at. Yeah. Uh, waves, trees too. There's two things here. One is the anatomy, what it's made of, and the other is the form, how it's shaped in space. You know, 25 years ago or so, Glenn Vilpu was teaching a class in LA called, it was, I, I might not have the name right, but it was something like analysis of forms. And so, it was a whole term 
devoted to just looking at a bird or a fish or a tree or everything and breaking it down into those simple volumes. That is great exercise. And if you're having trouble doing it, it's probably because you either, as Stan said, don't know form yet enough to get the rubber bands, the cross contours and the cross sections, or you don't know the thing well enough. Photographs, as Robert Beverly Hale pointed out at the beginning or in the, the chapter on light and shade in Drawing Lessons from the Great Masters, he pointed out that you can light a round thing, so I mean a, a spherical thing, so that it looks like a poker chip, so that it looks flat. And so photographs don't always give you all the information you need. Uh, some of it takes familiarity with the thing. What was the, you mentioned, was it a book or a course? I, I missed it. Robert Beverly Hale? The, the first thing I mentioned, oh yeah, Robert Beverly Hale mentioned that photographs, you can light a photograph so badly oh, no, that the, you can never the, figure the out the something form. Something about studying form. Yeah, Glenn Vilpu had a class okay. many years ah. ago. And okay. I think it was called Analysis of Form. And I didn't take it, but I wished I had. I kind of knew how to do it by then, but I also recognized that it would be great to have a whole term devoted to just that, one whole class. Hmm. Okay. I was trying to find it, but I can't. Oh, no. This was a long time ago, Okay. Stan. He doesn't have a this recording like, of it? No. This would have been like 25 years ago and it was in a live classroom, ah. like at an animation studio. Okay. Okay. Cool. cool. Next question. Uh, you guys might have to read the questions because I'm hearing from a lot of people that they can't hear me. Oh, uh, okay. I'll I'll repeat Mar uh, John's question after he reads it to me. Okay. How about that? Okay. Oh, actually, John, if you just scroll up a little bit, I, I could see the question on the monitor. Oh, okay, great. Or scroll, scroll down so I could, it's covered there. Okay. I see Jeff Watts often before he starts painting. Cover the canvas with transparent, oftentimes bright colors. Are they called base colors? Local color? He then models over it. Why does he do this? There's, uh, there's several reasons. One is to get rid of the white. If, if you're starting with a pure white canvas, anything you put down appears really dark. So if you put down like a value four, which technically is kind of a, it's still kind of a light value. It's like a, you know, a halftone value. Um, it, it sometimes appears like a shadow, like a really dark shadow on a white canvas. And so if you kind of tone it down to more of a medium tone, it's, it gets you in the middle and then you could see both, you know, in both directions a lot more clearly. Um, another thing is I know he likes to leave some of that bright color showing through between his brush strokes. And so he actually thinks about what color he wants to pop through um, in the final drawing. So it's, it, it kind of creates a balance, like a little dance of color um, in there, just variety. Yeah. <laughs> Good answer, Stan. Well, I mean, he, he explained it to me <laughs> in class. <laughs> yeah. Is it usually a warm color? Um, no. No, it could be anything. It's just whatever he wants to pop out. Like if he's doing a plain air painting, uh, and if he's painting water, he might do a really bright turquoise or something that pop, you know, that'll kind of shine through a little bit. Yeah, not always. And he doesn't always stain the whole canvas with one color. He'll he'll do like like patches of colors in different areas too. But it helps unify everything too. Yeah. Because there's a little of that color everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if it's one color, it does. It helps unify, yeah. Yeah. 
Good answer. Yeah, uh, that one. Yeah. Okay. What are some ways that you can ensure that you're not overstepping when approaching an artist for advice? Oh, um, Marshall, do you got you got an answer for that one? Uh, it's called emotional intelligence. <laughs> it's it's where you you read the vibe of the person and you pick it up. Uh, you you. I don't know anything else to say that because some people are so inviting of your presence that you'll say, yeah, I feel comfortable talking with you and other people put up barriers and walls around themselves and to read that I think is an important part of it. I don't know how else to answer it. I don't know whether any way to quantify it. Yeah, you, you have to be able to read the person because it, that overstepping is different for every person you talk to. Um, so, you have to just be able to pick up their, their vibe, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering what that person wants though, whether they want a, a, a more comprehensive answer mm -hmm. that says, if I have a sign on me that says, available to answer questions hmm. or, uh, I, I don't want to be, I know we've got so many questions that we are going to have to hit some of these fast, even if I'm not happy with whether that was <laughs> yeah. a thorough answer. I'm happy with the answer. I think, <laughs> I mean, if, uh, if the person wants to do a follow-up. Yeah, so you didn't give me what I wanted. I didn't want to know that I had to be emotionally intelligent. Yeah. I wanted a, a quantifiable way. Okay, well, let's, let's go ahead. Any idea how to get a job as a scientific illustrator and paleo reconstruction, restoration of prehistoric animals, any recommended resources for that? Uh, not off the top of my head. No, but it's one of those things that is your responsibility to research that. And the first thing I do is find who are the ones who know the most about it. Uh, I know William Stout knows a lot about it. Yeah. I have a former student, Corey Trago Erdner, who did a presentation in our classes on paleo illustrators. So those are two people that I'd go to right away and say, where do I begin? And I wouldn't want to take up much of their time, but just say- But how do they know they're not taking up too much of their time? That's got to be emotionally intelligent yeah. about it, which may be hard to do over email. I can't remember his name, but there was a guy who was a famous paleo illustrator who was kind of known for being crotchety. He was not one of the two I just mentioned. And, uh, and he did dinosaurs. He was, a, he was a, a consultant for Jurassic Park. And I was trying to get hold of a book of his and I emailed me him asking how I could get hold of it because it was out of print. And he, he gave me a pretty stiff reply that I don't see why people come to me to try to get books from a publisher that went that stopped printing it. And so I my emotional intelligence let me know not to email him back and ask him more questions. But the uh the subject of scientific illustration is something that some people go and get degrees. I know that in Europe they have programs that are devoted to that kind of thing. Uh I'm not the person really to answer that except to say that it's a field that I'm not in. And that if you're interested in, it's not going to take that much work. You're not going to spend more than an hour or two to have some good solid leads of where to go by yeah. researching it yourself. James Gurney might be a good one to reach out to because he's, oh, yeah. he's active on YouTube and so he's he'll probably re answer. Of course, James Gurney and Terrell Whitlatch are, yeah. are two and Terrell's doing and, and James is doing presentations. So, yes, they would be uh, quickly accessible people to ask. Yeah. Cool. Um. Next question comes from Arvid Person. Any advice on dealing with self-criticism? I have a lot of abandoned drawings because I wasn't happy with them only to return with fresh eyes to like it. 
Marshall, it's your favorite type of question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is my favorite type of question because I don't, I don't have a good answer for it except that I'm struggling with it myself and I do lots and lots of junky uh, pen and ink drawings in response to photographs in class and I've just, you get stacks of hundreds of them but what I intend to do is at some point when I'm in the mood to just go through and not choose more than one out of 10, put some limit on it and then get rid of the rest of them and say, these are the good ones out of it. But uh, this not liking it is very based on mood and your mood right when you've done a piece can be that you're just so high from having done it okay that you think it's better than it is or it can be so low from it not coming up to the level you imagined at the beginning of trying to do that drawing that you think that it's worse than it is. And so the most important thing I could tell you is to get some emotional distance from it and come back to it later when you're not emotionally connected and maybe twice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we just read Art and Fear on... We already published that episode, right? We did. <laughs> we did. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good book on No, we that. haven't published that episode, Stan. Oh, art and yeah. Fear. Oh, we, we didn't publish. We, we yeah. published, we war, published of, the war of Art. War of art. But not, yeah, art and yeah. Fear is coming up. Um, and that book will probably help you with that question. So, uh, that's coming up really soon, I think, in maybe two or three weeks. Yeah. So, look out for the Art and Fear episode. Um, or, I mean, you can just get the book now and start reading it. It's a good book. I like it a lot. Um, Although we did criticize it quite a bit on our episode, Del Marshall, <laughs> but it's actually a really good book. Um, yeah, we did. We criticized it. Yeah. Next question. Hey, Marshall slash Proko, anything I... At Lightbox. Oh, anything at Lightbox you would recommend we watch in case we missed it? Um, you know, honestly, I've been so focused on the five panels that we were doing uh, for, you know, Proco panels that I haven't watched too many other panels. So, I mean, I was more on this as like the, you know, behind the, the camera. You should maybe ask the chat, the chat, what, what have been your favorite uh, Lightbox panels so far? Let Taj know. Yes, I mean, that is a question for the chat. Yeah. I'm in the same position. I have just been, I did take a half hour or more yesterday to look over the list of things that were available. Mm -hmm. And in the class that I was teaching yesterday, we were looking at NCY's work and thinking about, talking about how great the work was and how limited his resources were. And there's probably nothing that was happening at the Brandywine School where he was learning from Howard Pyle that is not knowledge that you have access to now. And you have access to it times a thousand and you have access to a good deal of it here at Lightbox, uh, except that what have you got? four or five hundred or more hours worth of stuff that you could do this weekend. So, you're having to choose from it. So, yeah. it is a, it's a worthy question. Yeah. Andrew Jenkins mentions anything by Nathan Fowkes. Of course, yes. Nathan is the teacher for light and dark uh, massing and color massing and painting every day and all sorts of it. Oh, gosh. The chat is just going through <laughs> yeah. crazily. So, this yeah. We did not need to, to answer this, this question. This is a good time to promote our stuff too, Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> I did a demo we'll, on Friday. We'll on that. that did pretty well. It's an anatomical yeah. dynamic constructing anatomy demo and a Q&A <laughs> at, the, at the end of that. I, I thought it went really well. I was very happy with it. And then yeah. I did a Q&A with Kim Jong-gi and that was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, and then Marshall, don't you have another thing coming up today? Yes, I have another thing coming up today, but it's got a limit of like 100 people. Oh. Unfortunately. Oh, are you doing uh, Zoom? Uh, 
don't get on my case for it. It's too late to charge. It's Marshall. too late to change horses in midstream. But here's here's the thing. What's the if point? If you are really interested, this is a digital convention. It's uh, anyone should have access. But you're limited back down to the room size of an actual convention center. Okay. Here's what we can do. If you want to be in on Chris Applehans, the making of Wish Dragon, I'm going to ask him questions. He spent the last six years di directing an animated feature that he wrote and pitched with concept art that he did and got his friends to work on with him and they finished it and I'm going to be asking him about it. Now, if you miss it, if you miss it, it will be a, a good deal of it will be technical about lighting and modeling and rendering and, and teamwork and the pipeline and that kind of thing. If you miss it, I can always request that Chris Applehans be a guest on the Draftsman podcast where he'll talk less about the technical stuff and more about how the career, how the, the arc of his opportunity to have never directed a film to directing a film with a $30 million budget happened. That's... Uh -huh. That's worth it. So, yeah, if they oh. miss this with Chris Applehans today, we'll invite him. He can always say no. Yeah. And so that keeps you guessing whether he should be there today. All right. Next question comes from Jeremy Richardson. Question about content. How do you guys consistently find great topics for the Draftsman podcast? Where do you pull conversation ideas from? Hey, wow, that's, great. that's a compliment. Oh man, that's a, that is a compliment. We struggle so much. Yeah. We're always just like, what the hell are we going to talk about next? <laughs> that's, we, that's one of the things is that that we we have not con thought that it was consistently great content. Yeah. We're always worried that it isn't. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that helps it be less. Yeah. Maybe it helps it be better. Yeah. But we're hey, we're here. We're here partly to hear from you what you wish. We would talk about more often what you wish we would talk about that we haven't talked about. We do pay attention. Some of it isn't going to happen. And also what we've talked about too much. That's the, one of the things that I... Uh, yeah, those I, are the questions you were going to ask the audience at the beginning when yeah. I was like, don't you want to ask the audience some questions? So let's do it right now. So in okay. the chat, guys, the one and girls, I don't... <laughs> Y'all. And everything in between. What would you like to see more of? Like, what topics do you wish we would cover more of? Um, do you want us to have more guests, less guests, more book reviews, less book reviews, whatever, anything, anything we haven't even come up with yet. And also, what do you want to see less of? I'd already said that, didn't I? What do you want to see more of? What do you want to see less of? Um, and uh, what do you think we do well? What do you think we do poorly? Specifically Marshall. <laughs> what do you think Marshall does poorly? <laughs> <laughs> Might be a long list. Hey, yeah. uh, uh, somebody, Mo Mustafa, the natural way to draw or drawing lessons from the great, great masters, which should I study first? Uh, I think drawing lessons from the great masters is what you should study uh, first because it's, it's what was the other accessible. Uh, natural way to draw, which I'm not, I don't, I don't oh, okay. recommend the natural way to draw in spite of its value. But you know, I'm, I'm tired of talking about that one because we talk about <laughs> yeah. it and the more we talk about it, the more people come into the conversation new and say, what's your opinion about it? I've actually gotten people sending me emails saying, I would like your opinion on the natural way to draw. <laughs> and that's, that's not going to happen anymore. 
Well, just send them to the episode. Like I have an uh, yeah, episode yeah, yeah. on that, and yeah. But that's like three or four episodes. That's one of those things oh, that we've talked about uh, so much. That's one thing that we are tired of talking about. Yeah. Okay. The next question: What are some exercises for studying value, simplification, mm. and organization? I'm thinking more towards rendering. Mm. Um, like the the way I learned it was doing figure drawing from life, uh, but you could also do it with figure drawing from photos. Um, like the panel I did on Friday, watch that demo. It's like, seriously, the, the, the demo I did on Friday, I, I talk a lot, not a lot, a little bit about how I approach shading. And the first step for me was to simplify the shadow masses into interesting shapes that connect and kind of flow through the forms. And then from there, you know, pull out some darker halftones, but not too far because most dark halftones are near the shadow. And then, you know, start rendering the lighter halftones. And if you get that first part right, where you, you, you really design those shadow patterns well, and you get their edges interesting, the drawing already looks good. Yeah. Um, and then from there, the, like, the subtle halftones, that kind of just becomes like a... I don't know, a chore, just kind of like a thing you go through and you, you just kind of slowly, st carefully start wrapping it around, but don't, you know, make sure to keep your light and dark family separate. Um, so, I, I think just figure drawing, look at a figure that's well lit from uh, with a direct light source and um, simplify the shadow masses in a way that's still true to the thing you're drawing. A thing with simplification is you can oversimplify. If you're drawing the peck and deltoid, if you simplify those down to spheres, well, they're not pecs and deltoids anymore. You have to stop at some point in your simplification before you break the character of the thing you're trying to represent. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's it. <laughs> You know, uh, this is one of those times where because we're live, I can't say, hey, let's pause uh, and then look up some resources. But I can. Let me tell you, uh, well, I'll tell you what, next time you answer a question, I am going to look up a resource. No, but Marshall, uh, it, look at this. Tell me. You have the internet, is that I it? I have no, the I'm internet talking, and then we can I'm talking, switch. I'm talking about a resource on my personal computer oh, that I, I show students. Marshall, I have, I have to access do some to your seeking. computer. Watch this. <laughs> Boy, this is news. Uh, I'm kidding. Okay, let me go on with what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, studying what photographers know about lighting portraits is really useful because you've got full-on soft front light, you've got three-quarter light, you've got broad light that makes most of the face that is uh, the three-quarter view. Uh, toward you got short light where just a, a portion of the far side and looking at those photographs from one to another to another to see how the light changes on a head and with different uh, sources of light, uh, pinpoint specular lights and broad lights, diffused lights, those things can really help you and there is a chart. I will find it next time Stan uh, is answering the question. Uh, to refer to, it was an advertisement for some uh, photo supply store that had a wonderful example of that. That's great. And then the other place that I would send you, if you are concerned about light and dark for rendering, it's something I cared a lot about as a student 
and nobody would teach it. And I had to kind of learn it on my own. I had a few people who helped me a little, but not much. But the best resources are the ones that are famous right now. Uh, well, one of them isn't famous, but should be. The first one I'd start with is Dorian Eaton's Light on Form. Dorian Eaton's Light on Form course is the best introduction to how light fall, falls on form that I know anywhere. Yeah. And I tout it all the time. So, some of the people who are here live are my students in class and they're stepping out to get something to eat right now because they know Marshall's going to go on his Dorian Eaton Light on Form pitch. And then the other one, which takes it further is Scott Robertson's How to Render. Those are the two sources that I That's know. That's a book though, right? That's a book, but he's also got lots of video demos, you know, and even back in the days of Noman DVDs, he was showing it. He showed on a matter of two or three Noman DVDs, he showed most of what you need to know uh, quite sophisticatedly of what, how oh. light falls on form. Dorian is is much uh, gentler and, and entry level, but still uh, highly uh, useful and, and quite comprehensive too. You, are you able to show something, Stan? Yeah, I'm, I'm showing my screen. Oh, and James Gurney's oh. in the chat. And by the way, here, look at this being hey, recommended. Hey, James Gurney's James here. James Gurney's the color James, and light. Maybe we should bring James <laughs> in on this conversation. I don't think we, we can. Although, yeah, if he, if he can join our Skype call. James has a book also. What is it? We've got Color it right and light. Here. I'll pull it up. It's right here. It's recommended by Amazon. It's right here. <laughs> boop, boop. There it is. James, James's famous book that is ubiquitous. I'm showing it on screen. We good. Oh, okay. Okay. Hi, James. Hi, James. James, you got a question for us? <laughs> <laughs> we already plugged you twice in this stream, James. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to do it more now that we know that you're here. Yeah. This comes from Exia00. Question. I want to become a comic book artist. Oh, you just, oh, I need to read the question. <laughs> I want to become a comic book artist. I've been studying the figure drawing and anatomy from books, but when practicing, I use pictures from comic books and manga. Do you think that's a bad? You probably cut off the question again. Bad idea? I don't know. I don't think it's a bad idea. That, no. That's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, balance it out with studying from real, you know, photos of real people as well. But studying how other artists have kind of what do you, translated it into a drawing, that's just, those are master studies, you know. That, right. That's good. You, you got to do both. Do master studies and do studies from life. You brought up the, the, the balance between the two. It's art and life. Mm -hmm. Life is harder to learn from because it's messier and more complicated. Art is already artifice. It's artificial. It's contrived. It's, it's arranged for some kind of simplicity. So, you're going back and forth between the two of them. But of course, remember that the art that you study has a tremendous influence on how, what you're going to produce. So, choosing wisely and, and is, is, is part of that. Yeah. Okay, cool. That was a quick one. Okay, boy. Uh, James Gurney asks, who does your YouTube thumbnails? <laughs> who does our YouTube thumbnails now? We've had, John was doing them for a while, yeah. now who's doing them? It always, it's been changing. It's, I think almost every Proco team member has done thumbnails, right? Like it, yeah. it, the way people are introduced into the team is they, they usually start off publishing, getting into the publishing, uh, they need to start publishing. One of those tasks is to do thumbnails. 
Um, if you're but talking, Cat, Cat, Cat has done some of our most uh, our, our our most popular ones. Has Kat she not? Did um, all of season one's draftsman thumbnails? No, I did. Oh, John. That was yeah. That, that was, was originally John. the yeah. one that came up with the idea. Yeah. No, John came up with the idea of putting our faces on famous paintings. Yeah, John. Um, and then I think yeah, you did like the first. 10 or something. No, I did like the first few. The first few? Okay. And then and then Kat took over and then now Alex does them. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So. It's, it's a pool of talent, James. Yeah. A pool of talent at the Proco studio. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I got another one. Do, wait, do you have one that you want to answer? Because John's just keep, John keeps feeding me questions. If you see one, you could read it. Some of them are funny. Okay. Will there it? ever be merchandise with the infamous kangaroo available? <laughs> Listen, I, I haven't figured out merchandise yet. Uh, <laughs> about making it a 3D model. A 3D model. <laughs> yeah, make hey, it a 3D model. Uh, print it out. Sell it as a toy. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, it would be funny, but the thing is, it wouldn't. It'd be a waste of time for me because I know that, like, we'd have like 10 sales, and like, it's that's it. Yeah, but it would be an historical event. Oh, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If you want to help me with that, send me an email. Okay. Support at broker.com. you have any other questions that you like there, Marshall? Uh, somebody said, what happened to Marshall's mic quality? Did my mic quality... Oh, well, we're this. that's because you're hearing this through well, YouTube. It's. A, I mean, if you're uh, getting this live, you're just getting it with... with okay, if you're, com if you're comparing it to normal Draftsman episodes... Marshall's not here with us. He, he's at his house and we're sending his Skype call through into YouTube. So, you're getting a Skype feed right now. Yeah. And also, you're getting a stream feed which compresses it even more. Yeah. We will upload, we will take this episode, we're recording it in 4K right now as well simultaneously and we're gonna edit it down, make it clean, take out all of Marshall's mistakes and yeah. Um, we're going to upload it as a regular Draftsman episode, so... Um, it'll be better. It'll be, so, but that'll be in a few weeks, I think. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what else? Uh, question. Uh, I'm, this is from Art and Anime, Neek. I'm working through the hand muscles in the goodie bag. Would you say that all of these muscles are needed for drawing hands realistically? Also, I love the hand butt. <laughs> He's talking about my goodie bag that I provided uh, for Lightbox. Mm -hmm. um, Marshall, did you know that? Everyone gets a uh, goodie bag? Sorry to tell you that I didn't. Yeah. Well, it depends, I think, of how much the people paid, right? Like, if you paid a dollar, you probably don't get the goodie bag, right? I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know how it works, but I think if you, if you paid a dollar, you just get access, and then if you pay more, you get access to the goodie bags. Um, but yeah, we, we gave our hand, the premium hand was it just the ebook or the full lesson? It was the, all the ebooks. All the ebooks? Not the videos? Not the videos. Not the videos. Uh, all the ebooks, which is like a hundred page ebook on ha drawing hands and the anatomy of hands. It's, a, it's ridiculous how much information we put together. But so the question is do we need to know all those muscles uh, for drawing hands realistically? Well, if you, you specifically say realistically, so. Kind of, yeah, if you want to be realistic about it. And also, if, you want, if you're drawing from photo or if you're you, you know, drawing from imagination, that makes a big difference. If you're drawing from photo, not really. If you're really good at analyzing what you're seeing, 
you could get away with it and you can do a, a nice realistic rendering. But if you're drawing from imagination, you kind of do. You, you, need to, uh, you need to know what to invent. If you don't know what muscles are where on the, on the, on the hand, how are you going to invent them from your imagination um, and light them if you don't know their forms? Um, you can simplify, you can stylize them and, and like draw like comic book type hands because that's not realistic. You could just learn like the basic forms that are everywhere and not every muscle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Marshall, what's up? What? I, I would I would add to that that you, you don't need to know the lumbricalis, the ones that are inside there. You you need to know that dorsal interosseous muscles are in there, but the only one you really yeah. need to care about is this one. And but you can't. How could you draw a realistic hand? How could you draw a hand with authority if you did not know this abductor of the little finger? It's just it's a it's a huge form. It's bigger than your nose. And the <laughs> yeah, opponent's politeness. Put it. Yeah. It's, it's so yeah. There are so, there's groups and simplifying the groups and getting the forms and knowing how to put a cross contour around them, all of that stuff. I thought that Stan did a very good job with that hand thing by starting with, or I don't know whether you started with the cartoon hands, but you put enough emphasis on the cartoon hands to know that if you want to draw hands and have control of them, learn to draw them as cartoons because the cartoonists can draw hands in any position. So, that's where to go for the first wisdom. And then as you want to gradually make them less cartoony and make them more realistic, uh, that's where you care about the details, the anatomy. Yeah. By the way, somebody just mentioned in the chat that the goodie bag for Lightbox is 10 bucks, but if you paid a dollar, you can upgrade for nine more dollars and you get four gigs worth of really useful stuff. Wow. Yeah. It's not just my, my contributions. Everybody or a lot of the participants of Lightbox added stuff to the goodie bag. So, for nine bucks, you're getting like all this stuff. It, it's probably good. I haven't... Have we downloaded? No, not yet. I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we should download that because that's going to be gone today, <laughs> I think. I don't know, maybe. Anyway, next question from Noah Magica, Magica. How did the podcast start? Hmm. Who wants to start? Who wants to answer that? You or me? Well, it started before you, Marshall. <laughs> it did. <laughs> For you, it started when I like texted you or gave you a call or something, right? Yeah, I think, I think you texted me, yeah. Yeah. But before that, the idea started actually, I'm part of Studio 71, which it's like, a, it's like an MCN, but they're, I think they're better than most MCNs. Um, some people might know what an MCN uh, not, not multi-channel network. They represent oh. many YouTubers. Yeah, they represent okay. uh, Rhett and Link. And yeah, they they represent Rhett and Link, uh, The Rock, MKBHD, MKBHD. Oh yeah, that's right. They they have MKBHD's podcast as well. But anyway, they they came to me with the idea of, of starting a podcast, and mm -hmm. initially I said no, I I, I don't have time, <laughs> which it's still true. I don't know why we you still don't. went with it. Um, <laughs> But it's been really good. Um, and then, I, like a year later, I think, John, did you say something about, like, we should do something? Well, at the time, I said it was a bad idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> trying to, like, increase the <laughs> amount of content that we put out. Yeah. I think I just wanted to do some more, like, lo like stuff in real time. Like, not just lessons, but, like, more fun content. Um, more loose form content um, and then I was like I want to do that with Marshall because he's cool and then I I messaged you and that's 
Well, yeah. I, I remember over. that a year before you messaged me, you told me about how these productions where you spend a couple hundred hours yeah. doing a 15 minute thing have fewer views yeah, than yes. if you sit in front Unpre practically unprepared in front of a camera and talk for an hour and a half that <laughs> yeah. you get more views. Uh, and I remember thinking, how can that be? But it was, so there's no arguing with it. And then that's, that's, that was about a year before you asked me, I think. That was when I was like, we need to just do more content like that and, and not do all content that's, that we spend hundreds of hours on producing. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. People want more content, but I think it's, we got a good balance going. Yeah, and right. here you are. Next question from Angel Egg. Yeah, I'm sorry, Egg Eel. I don't know. If I'm a beginner in drawing, which one do I have to choose to start learning? Shading, composition, gesture, anatomy, color. I don't know where to start. Uh, okay, wait, hold on, Marshall. Do you need to hear that list again? Shading, composition, anatomy, Ge uh, gest color, gesture, gesture, and color. And color. Yeah. Oh man, a beginner. Okay, so this is a beginner. Okay, color is gone. From, I believe color would be the first uh, one. I anatomy take is gone. Yeah, I think so too. Gesture definitely comes before shading. Yeah, gesture and form. Gesture and comp. Well, form's not even on there, but yeah, gesture. I know, but and I'd, I'd add it on there. I'd yeah. add gesture and form. Gesture and structure. Yeah, gesture and structure. Then probably, personally, I would probably go to shading before composition, but. It's so important. Composition is so important. I don't know. It's also, it's just more difficult. That's the only reason I say that is composition is way more difficult. And so I would say you'll have a lot more success learning shading first. Um, you'll, you'll get some more successful drawings quickly if you start getting into shading before composition. Yeah. Um, I, I, have, I have an opinion about this. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I wouldn't say that you should study one of those first necessarily, although I do think that the order that Stan just mentioned was useful. I would divide them into two camps, that anatomy, which, which we took out because it's complex, it's got to be in there eventually, but uh, structure or, or form and shading are one side of an equation and the other side, which is very different, is composition. And so, if you are studying uh, form and shading, you are studying something that is quite mathematical. It's, it's perspective and how light falls on form. It's something that the computer can do. It's left-brained, as they say. And composition is so not that, that those two make a very good relief from each other. And gesture is somewhere in between. Gesture is about the figure. But it's also quite subjective and quite based on empathy and feeling and choices. So it might even, in fact, uh, Nicolaides does mention in, in composition studies from masters that you're essentially seeking the gesture of the composition. That how does your eye move through this? How do you travel through this? Where does it stop and linger? So he has you doing, he has you doing gesture drawings of compositions. But that's how I would approach it. Not that one comes first necessarily but that one is more technical and one is more about your opinions and your sensibilities. Marshall, someone asked a good question in the, in the chat. What's the difference between perspective and form? Do you have a quick answer for that? 
There's no difference really. Perspective is how you define form without shading. Perspective is how you put cross contours around things to show that they're thick. Perspective is wireframe like what you have in a 3D program. Wireframes yeah. around things, no shading, but it's really clear what that thing's shaped like in space. Yeah, but then form does include shading as well. You, you That's could, right. You could use no line at all and just start kind of putting tone in and still get a representation of form. Yeah. Um, but you, form I mean, is just three-dimensional shapes. Yeah, but, but the perspective is also still there. Like just because you don't yeah. put the, the linear perspective lines there, there's still... All that does is just tell you where to place things. So you still have to place things correctly even if you start with tone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Scott Robertson's two books, How to, How to Draw and How to Render, are a perfect follow-up of one is about perspective and one is about rendering. Yeah. Cool. Uh, next question from Stefano De Lorenzo. Did the Italian Renaissance masters think of geometric forms when drawing the figure? I tend to believe they approached the anatomy more directly. Thoughts? Mm, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't I know mean, enough about them and I also know that there are people what? who know a great deal about them. Uh, my mentor and friend Don Lagerberg has taught in Italy and gone around Florence and, and places and, and knows a good deal about this. I just don't. I'm, I'm sorry. You'd have to ask someone who knows more specifically about their concerns. Are you typing into Google? Did the Italian masters... <laughs> I'm trying to Google search for him. <laughs> Hold on a second. Don't switch to my screen yet. Well, let's... Hey, but let's not do this. Yeah, let's not, let's not put one at the expense of the other. A number of these questions do this. Usually when you've got two things, there's the geometric simplification. There's the anatomy. Oh, which one's more important? Uh, that's a question. But the better question might be, how are they different and why is one more important at one time than another? Uh, whatever one you emphasize, if you emphasize it as the expense of the other, you're probably going to fall over on that side of the, uh, of the imbalance. Yeah. I guess if, if, if the person is asking in order to choose one, then that's probably a bad idea. But if it's just yeah. a question that they're curious about. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they, they approach it more directly when you look at their final drawings, but it's hard to say because they might, they, they might still be thinking about that stuff and they're just not drawing it. Um, I mean, and we know they cared about both. Yeah, you have we, to care about that. basic forms in order to do what they're doing. If, even if it's not as direct as people teach now where they literally just start by showing you like, look, the arm is a cylinder or a box. Like, yeah, they, maybe they didn't do that back then, but you're not looking at their educational material. You're looking at their final drawings or their studies for themselves. So, yeah. they wouldn't show that kind of fundamental, like super basic beginner stuff. They're, they're yeah. super advanced. They're, they don't need yeah. to draw that in order to imagine it. Um, but let's make it practical for you who asked the question. Awareness of all of the geometric shapes and, and the flat design and how things intersect with each other, all that important. And what the human or animal is made of on the other side of that window, also important. <laughs> Something just fell on our roof. Oh, 
Christmas is coming early. People, uh, somebody asked if there's going to be a trash truck today. No, no trash truck today. This is, <laughs> it's this not is Tuesday, Sunday. guys. Yeah, yeah. Or wait, when do or we? Wednesday. Wednesday. Wednesday yeah. yeah, we record on yeah. Wednesdays. Yeah. Okay. Next question from Eric Roth. How much do you guys, as illustrators and teachers, engage with other fields of contemporary art? An example: ceramics, printmaking, photography. Personally, I don't much at all. I mean, photography. I'm always using cameras. Like, I got yeah. I got three cameras pointing at me right now. Um, you know, I'm always keeping up with the latest photography stuff, but it's more for video. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's about it. That's the extent of other. But I'll, I mean, animation though, I, I keep up with that kind of stuff. I don't keep up with it as a profession at all. But because I'm at schools where there's always been a ceramics department and a printmaking teacher and a uh, printmaking classes, I'm around people who do it. I don't know that much about it. Uh, students take the classes. I'm I'm interested in what printmaking is. It's got such a great hi uh, history. But photographers, that's another thing. I probably spent between 10 and 15 years working with photographers in advertising agencies for photographers in, uh, uh, in advertising agencies because I did a lot of retouching on it. I'd go on and shoots with them. And I'm like a fanboy about photographers because they, they, they know what they're doing. They're professionals. They know the ins and outs of cameras. Many of them love equipment. Some of them don't love equipment. They love the image, but the equipment is just a means to get there. I don't follow it as a profession. I just recognize that we live in the age of photography. Printmaking and ceramics have been around for a long, long time. Photography, much less long. And photography now, where it's not like you have to worry about how much money you're spending on the film. You can just shoot, 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 shoot. The last 20 years, photography has gone through major changes. Yeah. And, uh, and it's also something worth... It's hard for me uh, to imagine why... Uh, if I was 18, 19, 20, anyone in their 20s wouldn't just say, I am going to learn cameras, learn exposure, learn lenses, learn shutter speeds and all the things I can do with them because we've got access to all of these tools. In fact, I do. I have some students that do pick that up really quickly. Yeah. Someone in the comments said photography is not video. Yeah, I, I, I know. I, we, we don't just shoot video. Like, we, you know, as artists, we have to photograph models for as a reference. Um, we have to photograph our artwork, which I know that's, that's kind of like a technical photograph. It's not yeah. a, an artistic photograph, but, um, you know, there's overlap there a little bit. That's right. And the, the word photography, what is photography? Even those advertising agencies, uh, photographies, some of them were good at shooting people at live events that did not know that they were being photographed. One of them was a technical photographer who did microscopic stuff. He was a scientific photographer. Another guy specialized in cars. Some of them specialized in food. Uh, but there's a great big division between the ones that are in the moment and they have to get something that's happening fleetingly. Journalists, uh, journalists are that way. And the other ones where they spend hours and hours and hours preparing a, a setup. There's so much variety in photography alone. But what a thrilling pursuit. It's just that it's hard to make a living with it. Uh, people do. People make very good livings with it. But it's, it's every, everybody has a camera and so everybody thinks they can do it. But when you get someone who's a great pro at photography and you are, are and you watch what they do, there's so much to be learned. Anyway, yeah. that takes us off into another topic. This is the Draftsman podcast. <laughs> yeah. Drawing. Um, 
The next question, Lion Schmidt asks, are there any bad habits to watch out for when learning to draw digitally? The only one I can think of is Control Z. I, I know, but it's not that big of a deal either because it is one of the advantages of digital too. But, um, but some people just rely on it so much. It's just like every line they put down, they'll undo it like five times before they get the perfect line. Um, and I think that can hurt you a little bit. Like that, that does uh, slow you down. It, it kind of gets in the way of the process, I feel. Yeah, um, I do too. Like learning to draw traditionally, you don't have that uh, the ability to just undo real quickly. Like just do a line, press button, do it again, do it again, do it again until you get the one you want. And so you have to train your hand to do it correctly the first time or as close as you can. And so that trains you to be a little bit more advanced, a little stronger um, right away. But if you're a beginner and you're relying on control Z, that, that is a little, that's a crutch. And I would personally try, when, maybe like when you're practicing and not creating like art, um, just like take the, the Z button off or something. I think I've heard some, <laughs> I've heard some people do that actually. They like take the Z button off the keyboard <laughs> um, yeah. when they're drawing so they can't undo. Um, but yeah, that, that's the only one I can think of. I don't create digital art. Um, the only drawing I do digitally is mostly for like for diagrams for like my illustrate or my, uh, my anatomy class. Um, so that's kind of the extent of it. Yeah, you've said the same thing I've said except with less crotchetiness. What? You've said the same thing I I would say. Oh, except with less. Uh, mm. Oh, with <laughs> okay. But can you say the same thing now with more? Mm. Uh, yeah, I think that the you're going to make your if you're going to make your living in the arts, you're going to make it digitally. You're going to be living in front of digital, and digital is wonderful. But I recommend that you don't only transport yourself from place to place in a car. I rec I could recommend that you actually learn to walk and you learn to use your your inst instruments in the real world. And I can go on for an hour about it, but it doesn't it doesn't change anything. I've not I have not seen any students say, "Oh gosh, Marshall said maybe I shouldn't just you're you're going to use digital anyway." But yes, I think there are losses. But at the same time, Whoever is the greatest artist in this group of people who are watching right now in the next 10 years may be a person who can't pick up a pencil. You just make great choices and you do it digitally. I'm just, I, it's not the way I would train anybody. But after I die, you can say people used to actually think that, that you should use pencils and paper and pen and ink and watercolor. Uh, it may just be all disappearing. That was not enough. <clears throat> <laughs> that was oh, a good answer. You, uh, yeah, you're right. I'm I'm a little self-conscious right now and I'm unable to get really riled up. But hey, line quality. If you want something specific, line quality is something that most students who paint in Photoshop, the line quality is so awful. It is really? just so awful. And well, it's you're did looking you at the not wrong see people. It? No, I mean I follow mostly good artists. <laughs> well, that's right. You follow mostly good artists. Right. But when students are just figuring, okay, hey, yeah. I've got uh, the Photoshop brush and I can and work with this, it's, and, and that's, that's one of the biggest gripes 
I have. But I'm crotchety and curmudgeonly and and so I've said enough. Yeah, I think that you should learn to draw digital or learn to draw traditionally and be learning digital and be re ready that you are going to be taken out of that love of traditional that so many artists have and put into the digital world because it gives you so many more options. Yeah. That is what you're going to be making your living with. But I don't think you should start with that uh, that way. Yeah, I think if you start with traditional and then you move into, or just do them simultaneously, you will have an appreciation for digital more. And you'll know what those advantages are of digital and you'll be able to use them better. Um, because I, I mean, I think honestly, digital is a much more powerful tool than traditional. Obviously. It's so yeah. less limiting. Yeah. Um, even just to the, the things like, like line quality, you can get way better line quality with digital because you have so many options. I mean, like you don't have to buy different types of pens and, and, and brushes and inks and all that stuff. You could literally just make your own custom brush in a few minutes and, and change up some subtle properties of it to get different effects. And you can get some effects that you can't get in traditional. Um, I don't know. When I, I, I see some inking, like some comic artists that do digital and I watch them like, Jesus Christ, like I, I wish I could, I could do that digital or traditionally. Um, but yeah, anyway. Well, this, this also may just be uh, avoidance on my behalf. I made my living with digital for 20 years and uh, no, not quite that long. I made my living with it for about 10 years and then have been conversant with it since. But my, you know, my life goal and to a great degree is to get good again or get good for the first time and with some media traditionally. I got to say, Marshall, the past like five years though, I, I've, I think digital has improved a lot. Oh, it has Procreate and Infinite Painter. so much yeah. better now. Oh gosh, what you can do on a, on a, a tablet yeah. with these new programs is just, it's stunning. It's beyond belief. It's thrilling. So, so I don't want to rain on the parade. I'm yeah. excited for it. What you said, learn to walk. I like that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Next question from Kalp Bavzar. Advice or resources for networking online because not a lot of art communities around where I live. Yeah. Um, I think we covered that pretty much in our... Um, which It was part of our recreating art school series on our podcast and i think it was the final episode on resources and oh no there was two episodes there was one on community and one on equipment and resources <laughs> <laughs> so you got two hours of content there uh yeah. how about we just send you there no Stan. <laughs> yeah that is what we should do yeah and i i'm i'm glancing at the questions as they come in and i'm noticing that some people are copying and pasting their question over yeah. and over and over in the hope that yeah. it will be uh that's fine <laughs> okay that's fine uh there it is question marshall in the boot camp that's the george bridgman boot camp we did this summer you spoke about metaphors from nature i've been thinking it, about it, I, I can't read the whole question for some reason. Is it something I should worry about now, or will it come naturally? Uh, Katerina, let's see, let me see if I can summarize what it was about. In the Bridgman Boot Camp, we were talking about figure drawing. We were talking about anatomy and form and human figures 
And gesture and in gesture, a lot of it has to do where weight is and whether a person's springing forward or shrinking back and empathizing with a model. And we had a whole session devoted to getting up on your feet for your homework and striking the pose yourself and then going back and saying, where is the pressure on this body? Uh, that is That was one issue. But then we came to the point of the, the flat graphic design of a drawing, that is the way something leans this way and leans that way and leans this way, or is very blocky, or is curvy, those things are important in a drawing too. These are beyond anatomy and form and technique. And so we eventually came to a session where your style Hey, uh, Stan, this is something I did want to mention to you because I don't think we've talked about it before. In Bridgman's, in Bridgman's teaching, he has a page in there that's it's wordy, but I boiled it down to that he's presenting his teaching. He's presenting what he has to offer for two reasons. One is that you as an artist, once you've studied with me, George Bridgman, you will do independent ideas and also better ideas. And the more we looked at that, that one month we spent in Bridgman, I never appreciated his work so much. I got drunk on it all over again. I've been looking at it since. I'm in awe of it. And he is appealing to his students that you will do better than me if you take this teaching. But here's, here's something important. It will not be like me. It will not be a Bridgman style. It will be your own independent style. And so, uh, uh, students ask, how will I ever find my own style? And there are a number of ways, but one way is to collect the stuff that you love in nature. Bridgman, I really saw a lot of rocks in desert with sunlight at an angle to where the core shadow goes around the, the uh, almost the rim of a side so that most of the figure is in light, part of it is in shade. They have a, a chiseled rock uh, desert single source light quality to them. That is very different than if you go in and put a lot of glisteny highlights on things that might look like, like uh, frogs in a, uh, in a rainforest or like uh, ripples of water. And so, collecting things that excite you in nature and using those keeping those in your mind, feeding on them as you are developing your style of how to treat a figure, that is a creative way to move beyond just making it look like I studied with Bridgman. You can see him in my face. You can see him in my arms. You can see him in everything. Uh, why not go to something bigger than you and bigger than Bridgman? So, now, I hope that answered your question, Katarina. I saw it in there a number of times. and. Uh, and you asked, oh, your question was, should I worry about it or will it come naturally? It does come naturally. It comes whether you worry about it or not, but it can also come accidentally and arbitrarily. And so, I don't think you should worry about it, but I do think you should consciously choose that I want my figures to feel wormy or architectural of a certain style or whatever else and see if you can make the creative leap from that to another. And it's not something to worry about. It's something to have fun with. Attitude makes all the difference. Well, I gave you a little rest there, Stan. Yeah. 
I hope you were working on something productive in the meantime, and Katerina, I hope that answered. Uh, I wasn't doing anything. <laughs> oh, Katerina said thanks and gave me three hearts. What? Three? <laughs> I only got one. Three hearts. Oh, that's great. Okay. Uh, Your turn. Okay. Well, that was a question for you. I think you did a great job answering it, so we'll move on. Thank you. Uh, Lior Harush, question. Any news on the perspective course? <laughs> I've seen that one in here a bunch of times. Stan, can I give an answer? Um, or do you want do you want to do it for me? No, I want you to give an answer. I yeah, gave an yeah. answer in my anatomy stream. Someone asked I me. Have, <laughs> I have not worked on it for months. What the hell, Marshall? And the, the reason I have it is because I'm making a living. I taught a Bridgman uh. course and I'm also doing a podcast with Stan. I'm doing a number of things, but I am I am going to set some time aside for it to work on it. And it may be that the answer is going to be that I'm going to have to do uh, fewer things that serve you on the side so that I can do that one thing. But it is on my mind every day and yeah. I apologize. I'm as disappointed as you guys right now. <laughs> I know you are. I'm disappointed too. So, uh, just keep adding it in there. Go ahead. Keep keep heaping guilt on there. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> maybe, maybe guilt will be the thing that gets Marshall in action. You know, you tried the positive thing. I, Here, come get this. And that's not working. So, you just have to light the fire and get him going. Marshall, I think guilt does get you to go into action. I was raised on guilt. <laughs> yes, everybody. Email Marshall. <laughs> Marshall, what's your email address? <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Let's move on. I think you guys could take a guess based oh, on your yeah, website. Oh, you can contact me by my website. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Carlos Rue has, an, uh, has a question too Ooh, that's Carlos come up Rue. here. Carlos, do you know Carlos? I don't know him personally, but he comes up all the time in, in like all over the place. <laughs> but he's an active member like of the Proco community and, and, yeah. and so, oh great, great. Then, then let's give Carlos a response. Marshall, what would you advise to an artist that wants to write and illustrate his own stories? I would advise that you learn to write and illustrate <laughs> your on. own stories. I would learn this. Here's the first thing. It's the, writing a story and illustrating a story are not that different in the core things. The first thing you do is you love the subject. You love stories. You pour yourself into stories. And then eventually you start to get analytical about them. You start, how come that story made me laugh or, or, or wet my pants or whatever it did? How did it emotionally affect <laughs> me so much? And then you start listening to what those storytellers themselves say. Uh, the same thing with illustrating. I'm teaching a class right now. We're four weeks in uh, on illustrating literature. It's the first time I've ever taught this class. I've got a wonderful small group and this is stuff I've been getting ready for, for, for years. We are going to, I'm going to see if I can make this a public online class in the next year. But we are starting with first, you choose the literature that you care to, to illustrate and you understand it. As, as N.C. Wythe said, the first thing you do is you understand or you, I think he said you feel the story in all of its rhythm and swing. You get to know the story and then N.C. Wyeth had very specific ways of where you don't just illustrate what's already in the story. You illustrate into the gaps, into the things that the author didn't mention, and that way you bring something new to it. Now, that's just one aspect of it. 
But I'll tell you what, Carlos, since you're asking and since you're asking me, my simple advice is this, love stories, learn from the people who tell the stories. There's all, sto all sorts of people who talk about how they work and then practice and get in a community that's going to do that. How about illustrating? Look at great illustration and love great illustration. And then listen to the illustrators who do great illustration and find out what is important to them and then get into a community where you start to work on those, uh, those things yourself. And I'm roughly planning perspective course notwithstanding, I'm roughly planning that in this next summer, one night a week, we are going to begin a, a uh, storytelling course where we do exactly that. We take some great stories, we talk about what the authors of the stories thought was important in crafting that story and what their process was like, and we turn it into assignments so that in a matter of three to four months, you've got most of the knowledge you need. But then to get the skill might take longer than that. And if I don't do it by this summer, summer of 2021, I, I will do it by uh, next, the, the following summer. But I do have it in my plans and I've taught it, I've taught it scores of times, but turning it into an online class is a little different. Okay. I hope I answered the question. I'm going to look at the, I'm going to look at the uh, chat to see if Carlos uh, gives me any response. Did that help? It's hardly a mystery. They are two different things though. Good illustrators, great illustrators are not necessarily great storytellers, although most of them, many of them are. And certainly great authors and storytellers and story crafters are not necessarily good illustrators. Carlos, you should just respond no. Yeah, just say no, Marshall. I want better. <laughs> <laughs> then you'll get me going on another round of it. <laughs> uh, and then we'll cut out both of them into the final. Uh, Kelp. Kelp Bavsar, there's a question that grabs me. <laughs> Chloe, thank you. Thank you for your hearts. Uh, if you can find that one, it's, it's gone past me, John. What's one yeah, for you, uh, Stan? I've talked. Yeah, my I've art spoken. teacher keeps giving me assignments. That one? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, my art teacher keeps giving me assignments to learn about art artists, but I don't like learning that way. Best approach to learning art history or artists? Well, you, I've, got a, I've got an opinion about that. To learn about artists, so yeah. not learning from artists. I've, I got an yeah. opinion about that. Yeah, go ahead. You've got two options. One is to pay attention to your teacher and say, maybe my teacher knows more than me and I'll do that. And you might be right or you might be wrong. I don't know. I don't know your teacher. But there's another option and it seems like what you're leaning toward because you say you don't like it, take responsibility for your own education. Just say, look, I'm going to pursue what I love. I've seen some artists really do great. I've seen artists become millionaires doing that, become millionaires by not listening to their teachers. Uh, but uh, one of them that I can think of that became a multimillionaire also had serious gaps in his training because he didn't knew, learn anatomy and yet he had anatomical figures that didn't have the anatomy in there. So, you take responsibility for it. That you, you, if you don't really, if you really don't like what your teacher is assigning you, question your teacher. Question whether it's worth it. And if you decide it isn't worth it, do your own thing. That way you are self-motivated and you might decide a, a year or three later that maybe it was a good idea after all. I think we I know who you're talking about, Marshall. Yeah, I, people, a millionaire uh, that didn't learn anatomy. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give an example though of a teacher that uh, in in the uh, in the 1990s I had known this I had known this man. He was a teacher at, at school. He was my teacher in college, but I had known him for uh, t about 20 years, and we had a lot of mutual respect. And I was doing very well as an illustrator, making good money, and I was doing some of my best art too. And I was confident enough to say, look, if you had any advice to give me, what would it be? What would it be just at this point in my life? And he answered so quickly that I felt like he had been waiting 20 years for me to ask this question. He immediately said, work bigger, work bigger. You do these tiny little drawings and it's sort of like, see, see, I'm dancing, I'm dancing. And I thought, I don't know. I don't know about that. Rembrandt and Durer and a number of other artists whom I admire extremely, Da Vinci, they did tiny little drawings that are some of their masterpieces and I liked working small. I didn't like working big. But a few years later, it was about two or three years later, 1997, I remember it. I saw why he told me that. They were, there was a tight, cramped, crimped, sticking down into these tiny bits that needed to be loosened up. It needed to be shaken up. And he saw that in me and I didn't see it in me until I did. So sometimes, if you got a teacher you trust, sometimes they'll tell you, you ought to do this. You ought to do this. I'm telling you, you're relying too much on digital and you may be right or they may be right. I hope that answered your question. Oh, gosh. Lots of hearts. Thanks, Logan. Thanks, Marshall's <laughs> loving the hearts. All the wow, I love it. Yeah. Can you? Yeah. Can you guys send some TikToks in the chat, please? Actually, like this. I don't know what that means. Stream because it will be promoted more on YouTube. So, like John, my marketing guy, says to like this stream. Yeah, like the YouTube video. Like the YouTube yeah. video. I don't know what that it'll means. Get, it'll get <laughs> <laughs> John, ever the marketer. Yeah. Woo, John. John is for, thinking. So. Yeah. John's um, promoting. Okay. Yeah, Marshall, I like your answer. You could listen to your teacher or don't listen to your teacher. Yeah, that's your response. Uh, yeah, it, that, exactly. You, your teacher is not responsible for you getting good. At least not in this country. It shouldn't, shouldn't be. <laughs> shouldn't be. Yeah, shouldn't. It, you, should, you should take control. You do what <laughs> you know you need to do to get better at what you want. There's, there's so many artists that I've heard that say... Man, my, my teacher just didn't believe in me, told me not to do this thing. It's like, if everybody trusted their teacher, that some people wouldn't become who they ended up becoming. And so you have to trust your gut. If you, you, know, you are, you have your best interest, I think, at heart. You know what you want. So make sure you follow that. But also know when you are limited in your knowledge and when your teacher knows more than you um, and you should listen to them. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, either extreme. Whatever the teacher says, I'll not listen to it. Or yeah. whatever the teacher says, I'll obey completely. Either one of those extremes is going to give you trouble. It's, a, it's discernment. Yeah. As often as the case. Okay. But also, if your teacher, like, if your teacher gives you exercises that you know are, he's, you know, the teacher's probably right, but you just hate doing it, I would say just don't do it until you, until you get to the point where you actually are ready for that. Um, and there's no point of doing something you, you don't like. 
Well, sometimes there. Have, have, <laughs> sometimes have we talked but... about have we talked about salads on this podcast? What? No, have only we talked yogurt. about salads? Only yogurt. Okay, well let, let's talk about salads. Okay. Ma many children, many children do not like salads. I was appalled at the idea of a salad when I was a kid. And then in my 20s, I fell in love with salads. And I think that if you force a child to eat salads, that it could turn them off to it because it's a negative emotional experience. But if you watch what happens naturally, there comes a point where you want new flavors and new combinations of flavors. And it, 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 it does come up. You're not so afraid of that anymore. And so, it may be a natural part of the maturity that you don't like something because you're just not ready for it. Yeah. Or you're just excited about something else that yeah. is also good, but your teacher says that this other thing is more important. But, you know, Gosh. learning art is not linear like that. You can bounce around from one thing to another. There's so many fundamentals to learn that there's not one specific thing to start with or to move on to next. It's, I've, I always had projects at home that I would work on that I was excited about. Not the thing that was being taught at in class, but the, I mean, a lot of times they would kind of overlap a little bit, but if I was excited about something completely different, I would go down that path. I would always try to do things I'm excited about because those are the things I'm going to learn more is the things that I'm passionate about. I agree with you, but Stan, we are, we are so 21st century California, follow your bliss, so do what? your own thing, know your passion. This is so different from a style of, of education and training historically where you've got the martinet with the whip who says, no, not like that, like this. And uh, I, I am not big on that, but there is, there is something to be said for that. You know, hey, I, here's something. <laughs> calling, calling these, these seminars boot camps, uh -huh. you know how when you call them a boot camp, we found out that if you call it a seminar or a webinar, it only sells so much. But if you call it a boot camp, it sells more. And really? I think the reason we got to do yes, that. It, the reason we're is not doing courses anymore. Only boot camps. Yeah, yeah uh, they're they're, they're, there's so many students who say, "I want somebody to kick my butt." But you know, there is a time when there is there is uh, appropriate, uh, not demand. I don't think I don't want to be in a boot camp where you actually have to do it. But if you say, "I'm willing to submit to this." And I'm going to do 120 drawings in the next amount of time. And then I'm going to do this really hard work in this next few days. And when it's, it's submissive, when it's by consent that you don't have to do this, but you're willing to put yourself to that tough task, that's where it is, it is exciting. The, the thing that I don't like doing this, but I know it's good for me. There's tremendous value in that. And, uh, but again, we, we've, we're answering this question over and over and going yeah, in Yeah, yeah, in yeah. Well, there's so many yeah. coming in. Yeah. Let's, let's move. Okay, the next one from Rafi Kunha. I'm trying to do both digital art and animation. That, mm -hmm. that could be the same thing though, right? Digital animation. So, yeah. I guess non-digital animation. I'm kind of new to both, but should I focus on just one or try and make a schedule for both? Hmm. Huh? <sighs> I know that I would do both. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able to help myself. And then I would just get in over my head and, and just... <laughs> John knows. And then the basics course gets pushed back yeah. years later. Yeah, and then six years later, the perspective course still isn't done. Hey. <laughs> Stop mentioning basics course. 
Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. You're guilty, hey, no, too. No, Perspective is late. Um, no, I, honestly, I, I think that, like, the, the better answer here is, is to prioritize and to focus more on one of them. Um, but I'm a, I really like cross-training. I think it's very useful. And so, if you're interested in multiple things, I think it is useful to pursue multiple things because there's going to be days where you're just tired of doing one thing and you can switch to another and you'll be excited to switch to that other thing and you can keep growing without taking a break and, and, and falling back on something unproductive, you know? Like, I like to do too many things, but that also means that I'm always productive because when I, I'm tired of one thing, I don't switch to like video games or just like going on Netflix and watching Netflix or, or doing something else. I switch to the other thing I'm really excited to do. Yeah, And so I'm great. always really productive, um, which, yeah, so there's, there's drawbacks and, and there, there's good things about doing e either option. I would, however, definitely prioritize and don't say, I'm going to do both equally. Say, I'm going to do both, but I'm going to do this one a lot more and this one whenever... I'm able to, um, and I think that's okay. That the other one will will get a kind of a backseat, but you'll you'll make improvements slowly. That's okay. But I love that idea of bouncing from one kind of productivity to another. You know, the opposite of pleasure doesn't have to be pain. The opposite of pleasure can just be a different kind of pleasure, mm -hmm. an indoor versus outdoor, or an extroverted versus introverted one. Uh, that's a great way to arrange a schedule with complementary activities that are as much as you can ones that you like. Somebody asked a question about George Bridgman and complementary anatomy. Uh, complementary anatomy? What is that? Comp complementary. If, if you're going to study George Bridgman, oh. uh, what's complementary anatomy? Uh, okay. Hey, I'll, I will tell you, I think that David Rubin's book, R-U-B-I-N-S, well, yeah, yeah, actually, go to my website. I've got these book reviews that talk about that. I would pair up David Rubin's very much with Bridgman because they are so different. And a lot of people find David Rubin's book cadaverous, which it is, and overly detailed, which it is. But that's exactly why it's a compliment to Bridgman is that Bridgman's is anything but cadaverous. These are strong figures and it's anything but detailed. So, those two go very well together, but you can find other couplings. Um, and by the way, if you're asking that, I'm assuming you were not in the boot camp. Uh, I, I am going to do a two-hour, between now and the end of next year, I will do a two-hour Bridgman thing that's an introduction to Bridgman and all sorts of stuff about him. I'll do it online, but I got to get prepared for it. I, I've done it before. I'll, I'll get prepared for it. But here's the other thing. I'll do the boot camp one more time as a live event. But I think only one more time where we do it for a month where you really have to go through all the exercises if you're going to participate. And you'll get all that information from me in time. If you're that interested in it, I'll do what I did this last time. I'll keep the price down uh, so that you'll get like 12 sessions for 120 bucks as an observer. And we'll answer all those questions about Bridgman then. Hey, if you want more sessions with Marshall, I'm doing a perspective workshop in January a composition boot camp in February, feedback sessions with Vance Kovacs, 
And here's the big deal. The July 2020 Bridgman Bootcamp is on its way to becoming the Bridgman 1.0 video series enhanced with extras. Get on the interest list now and we'll send you a discount code for the videos and the extras. Soon, this will end. Go to martialart.com, homepage, you'll find the links to all that I'm offering. Bridgman with extras, perspective workshop, composition bootcamp, and more. Beginning in January 2021, martialart.com. <laughs> this is an interesting question from M. Kiss. Is it better to fail in originality or to succeed in imitation? Uh, well, okay. If you failed in originality, then you're not... You're failing still, right? Yeah, yeah, you're failing. You're failing. So what... So I guess it's better to succeed in imitation. I guess it, answer, it also depends on what do you mean by success and failure. Yeah. What does that mean? In what, in what form does the success come? You mean like financial success? Or you mean like personal uh, like happiness of what you did? Those are different ways of looking at it. So. It also depends a great deal on what you do after you fail at originality. Ooh. I failed and therefore I've given up. Or I failed and say, okay, one failure out of the way, let's try again. And succeeding at imitation, if that's all you do afterwards is succeed in imitation, there's a word for that. It's, it's hack. It's to be a hack. I just do the same thing over and over. It's not wrong to be a hack, but you know, and it's, it's, it can even be fun to say, I can just do this one magic trick and I impress every new person with this magic trick. It's the only magic trick I know, but I just go from person to person in person and I have a history of impressing people. But doesn't, I mean, isn't there something in you that wants to do a new magic trick? Someone asked, uh, will we get a what's your thing segment? Today, uh, let me ask you, let me ask you. Me? <laughs> no, let me ask you whoever answered that. Is that what you want? And you know, I, I think I'm, that's what they mean, Marshall. <laughs> I, I mean, do, I do you so. want a, I, I have a student, in fact, a student who's in here, uh, who, who said every time Marshall, he told me in class, every time you say what's your thing, you seem uncomfortable to me. Oh, yeah. You're very uncomfortable, right? And I said, it's because I am uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, so, so, yeah. I'm we'll also do uncomfortable. I said it hey, once you know what, you know to what be we're stupid, doing right now. and then it's just like everyone kept saying it again. I was like, You know what right. we're doing right now? What? We're doing, we're doing the same thing except Bang. that we, we found a way to turn it into sponsorship. I did two commercials for courses for the great courses, yeah, that's right. Uh, one of which has been something I chose anyway yeah. for my thing. Yeah, and I got we we got somebody to sponsor it so that it helped uh, it helped pay the bills to to do yeah. it. So I'm going to try doing more of that. Is just advertising those great courses that are the things that I love. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I good. think Bla uh, Black Wings were my thing once, and yeah. they reached out and they want <laughs> they want to do something eventually. I think. Oh, yeah, we it's are funny. capitalists. What else do we want to get for free? We just like yeah, just say it. Um, I think we should do a what's your thing today, Marshall. I have a good one. It's do actually you? been something I wanted to share with you because I think you're gonna love this. Okay. You're gonna want. You're gonna wish you had this when you were twenty. It's a, it's a material good, I can tell. It's a, it's a note-taking system and, and app that is just like so much better than everything else I've ever used. 
I'm interested. I know you are. <laughs> it It's a note-taking system that I think goes really well with the way that you taught um, whiteboard, you know, brainstorming in, on a whiteboard. Mm -hmm. Anyway, what's your thing coming up? Do you have a good one, Marshall? To, we, no, we but can I end could improvise. I could improvise because I'm, uh, I'm in the middle of... of uh, classes and uh, you want to go first? <laughs> no, no, we'll do it at the end of this. Oh, we'll do it at the end. Yeah. Okay. So you got time. You can think of something okay. while I'm talking. Okay. Next question. Uh, is it necessary? This is from Moncano Studios. Is it necessary to have social media to have work as an artist? I mean, no, but it helps. <laughs> you tell us. Yeah, is it possible? Of course, are, it's are you possible. getting work without I, social media? Well, the question was: It is. Is it? Not, you know, it's not. Is it possible? Is it necessary? I guess that's the same thing. But not everybody who has work right now has social media. So yeah, of course it's possible, um, and of course it's not necessary. But it's a it's a tool. It's just a tool, and you can use it or you could not use it. it. It's up to you. Yeah. But it's a very powerful tool. So. <laughs> it's a very powerful tool. Yeah. Hey, you know, this was the first year in 37 plus years, 38 years that I did not go to the Comic-Con because they canceled it for the lockdown. And I couldn't believe how easy the summer was in some ways by comparison to not have to do all of the logistics of going to the Comic-Con. But it used to be before the internet, that if you wanted a career in entertainment art, comics or not, if you wanted a career in entertainment art, you went to the Comic-Con. There's just no other other way to, or there, there were other ways, but it was the bulk, 70 plus percent of your opportunities to get into the industry happened by going there. And then that started to change. And now I don't know that it's the case at all. What are you looking at, Stan, that's oh, making you sorry. laugh? <laughs> One of the comments after I think we were talking about our sponsorships, uh, uh -huh. someone said, looks like Harry's Razors stopped mar sponsoring Marshall. <laughs> that was good. Wasn't a good investment, yeah. He's working against us, man. This is a guy who says, yeah, I'll advertise your product, but he's working for our competitor. No, he's still shaving his head. He actually has a full head of hair. He just likes to shave it. Hey, yeah, I'm, I am doing the, the Tom Hanks castaway thing. I'm going to give it a try a little longer. Yeah. Next question, another Daniel Williams asks, how can online students determine if their art is at a point where they can break into the industry or galleries if they don't have feedback from instructors? The way you determine is you try to get jobs. Um, and if you can, you're ready. If you can't, <laughs> if people are rejecting you, then you can't. Um, yeah. I started doing commissions and stuff when I was like 16. Like, it, it really depends on what your bar is. Like, it, are you trying to get a job at like Pixar or something? And, you know, you might not be ready, but you could do some little things. You could, you could still learn and improve your skills while you're doing some professional work. You don't have to like start at the top. Um, yeah. You know it, what Bobby Chu's advice was on that, though? No. About what, starting at the top? Uh, this was uh, maybe eight or nine years ago at Animation Expo when he was doing a presentation about uh, people saying that you should get in on the ground floor. You got to get in on the ground floor. He said, I always felt like you ought to aim for the top floor. 
That way, if you miss, you at least land on the seventh floor instead of the ground floor. And so his idea, and that's similar to what Norman Rockwell did, right? Go to the Saturday Evening Post and see if they'll hire you. And they did. So, you know, if you're audacious, if you've got something you think that is worth giving a try to, you don't go to your teachers for that. Yeah. Your teach of course, you aim for the top floor, but that mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you, like, if you land on the second floor as you're aiming on the to the top floor that you don't take it and be like, oh, no, 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 I was aiming over there. Like if you aim for the top, but you, but you fell really low, you could still take it in the beginning and That's then right. keep aiming up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but go to, if you, if you're interested, what was, the, was this about galleries? How can students determine if their art is at a point where they can break into industries or galleries if they don't? Yeah. 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 Galleries is real easy. Just, just go reach out to them. If they like your stuff, they will respond. Galleries are yeah. always looking for artists, good artists to represent. So that one is something you can quickly test out. Next question. Best brainstorming technique to come up with ideas. Marshall, you taught a whiteboarding class on this. Yeah, well, not really. No? But it, it, here's what I'm starting to find out. <laughs> Never mind. In, in the illustration class that I'm doing right now, and in storytelling classes, and in, in many of the classes that have any creative component to them, the first third of the semester, the first quarter of the semester is don't censor yourself. Yeah. Don't edit yourself. Uh, George Pratt calls it a, a brain dump or a mind dump. The idea is getting in the habit of not being afraid of just putting it out. It's safe. You don't have to show anybody. But that's the first thing is that a brainstorm should be a storm. It's a storm that you open up the window and you let everything come in no matter how awful it is. You sort through the junk later and you find the treasure, some of which would have never gotten in there if you were careful about what you let come in. It's an attitude and it's something you practice. You learn to turn off the sensor in your brain like small children do and just let it all out in specific sessions that are devoted to that and then take a break, come back later and go into critical mode. This is, this is very common knowledge in the creative, the dynamic of creativity. Is to start that way. I, I say it so often. I've said it this week uh, several times in these classes that I'm teaching. And I, if I if I teach you classes like composition class or the the storytelling class in this coming year, that'll be the first part of it. Is choose the stuff you want to do stuff like, and then uh, dump out all the ideas that you have are like that. And we'll sort through them later. Uh, Marshall, I I started reading this book that's on screen right now. It's called Fishing for Elephants. Um, and it's about creativity and it's called Fishing for Elep Elephants by Larry Moore, Insights and Exercises to Inspire Authentic Creativity. I think, now I'm not done with this book. I've only read like a, a few chapters, but it, so far it's a really good book. I'm finding it extremely useful for people who are, I mean, looking for that, whoever was asked, like this might be helpful. Somebody just told me about that in the last couple of weeks. Was that you? That was me. I sent, yeah, okay. you, I, I sent you a picture of one of the pages That's that I right. thought was like, oh my God, this is great. It yeah. was like a list of all the different reasons to do art. It was like, yeah. it was like oh my God, like finally there's a breakdown and it was really good. It was a thorough breakdown of like seven reasons that you could create art. Um, I, yeah, great book so far and I think it'll do a really good job of answering your question. Yeah, that is a, an exciting subject to me. Mm -hmm. Even if I had no concern with being creative, I'd still be just interested in the creative process because it explains how uh, how some people get so good at what they do. They've got a way of approaching their work that brings out their best. 
Now, somebody's asking and uh, has copied and pasted a question in here over and over about perspective and a cityscape and measuring back. We can't answer questions like that here. Uh, I mean, how, <laughs> Get how, out how could we? Yeah, how could we explain how to measure back a cityscape? <laughs> but also, are you paying attention to all of the perspective teaching that is on the internet and that one lecture and that Ow! old one that I did of how to measure things back? Uh, that stuff is is very readily available, and it's not likely we're going to do that on a live podcast. So you got to oh, work man. on it first. Marshall just spanked someone. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Those there are some questions that we're we're not going to answer. We could just ignore them. What are some other ones that have been coming up here? It's like stop copy pasting that. Yeah, yeah. When you see the word perspective, you instantly look at it, so you're just getting tired of reading the same question, huh? Okay, yeah. let's. Uh, John has another question here. Um, from a beginner artist, Marshall, what do you guys think about? Wait, so is this from Marshall or for both of us? It says, Marshall, what do you guys... So, Marshall, you have to answer what I also think. Okay. Um, what do you guys think about drawing armatures and experimenting with them before moving to gesture drawing and basic anatomy? Is okay. that what you want to do? Stan, Stan's wondering, is that what you want to do and why? Why is that important to you? Stan, No, I'm, I'm saying it depends. <laughs> you could have guessed that. Well, there's nothing wrong with drawing armatures before doing gestures. It's not the most natural way as a process, but there's. Uh, I, I, I want to ask why you're asking that. Is it because you're inclined to? I'd rather do armatures first. Uh, then do armatures first and see if, if, you're, if you do it regularly and your drawings are starting to look stiff, then try the other way. Uh, next question. How important is it to break art habits? Also, how about the importance of breaking of your comfort zone is? Well, how important is it to break? I guess it depends on how bad they are. It depends. Like, how bad are the habits? Yes, yeah, some are very important to break, you know? If you have a habit of quitting halfway through every drawing you start, that's really bad. You're, you're not going to be a professional artist if you can't take things to a finish. But some habits, some bad habits, eh, whatever. If you have a habit of drinking coffee while you, while you draw, whatever. <laughs> you eat a little too much chocolate, give yourself forgiveness. Yeah, it's okay. But you, you described it, you, the one who asked, asked this question, described it as a bad habit. Can you imagine your, your, your teacher saying, no, bad habits are good. <laughs> yeah, no, don't. Okay, Continue you can keep those. with them. Yeah, yeah. keep those. <laughs> <laughs> what was the second part of the question? Um, also, how important to breaking out of your comfort zone? That one I think is important because you grow more when you're pushing yourself beyond what you're comfortable with. Yeah. You know, we're comfortable with usually what we're already good at. Um, so, yes, very important. I think you already knew that before you asked. I think so too. Okay, next. Um, does it depend? <laughs> John, goddammit. Someone just asked, does it depend? <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. It depends. <laughs> next one from Purple point tips for starting to do a big project for someone who really does small stuff. <laughs> oh, okay. That's a good question. Okay, go ahead. Then you, yeah, do it. Uh, there, is a, there is real risk in starting a big project when you're only used to doing it small. In the summer of 1994, I decided I wanted to not paint realistically, but like I, like I did 
for my living, which were airbrush renderings. I wanted to paint with a paintbrush and do some little paintings. I did a number of small ones and then tried to work bigger and found out that an exoskeleton works fine for an insect. It does not work fine for a larger body. And we find this with, uh, with uh, watercolor comps that in our class, we do lots of these little watercolor comps and you can see that those are small and that's to Wait, get show that, used to... show that a little longer, Marshall. Those are yeah. cool. Let me see. You could, well, I want you people to see closer. that these are about the size of a business card, but they're, they're studies from masters and they happen rather quickly, 10 minutes. Nice. And it's just so that you have to think fast and get some, some shapes down and, and mash your lights and darks and so on. But that does not mean, oh, with watercolor in particular, that does not mean if you do a hundred of those that you can then do a nine by 12 watercolor. It's a whole different animal. So I would recommend that if you're starting a project that's going to be big, and I don't just mean physically big. I mean that if you're used to a project that you can get done in a day, and this one's going to take two weeks of nonstop work, that those are very different and there's two ways you could go about it. One is jump into the big canvas or jump into the two-week project, but don't have your life depend on it. See where it goes awry. See where you're, keep a journal enough to say, here's where I started to lose interest. And that way you're rehearsing bigness to see what where the pitfalls are. The other way is to just simply gradually increase the size or the duration of the project. But I, I will say this, that is a legitimate question that I entertained my family, but I found it was much harder to entertain my classmates that I was able to do something on this small level and it was not the same when I was doing it on a bigger level. Gradual increases or uh, uh, a safety net where there's freedom freedom I, to fail without hurting too much. I think that, yeah, big projects are extremely important and one tip to when you're starting a big project is to break it up into smaller projects. That's right. You know, it, if you know that you're going to do something that's going to take you six years. <laughs> yeah. Shut up, John. Yeah. Um, well, I didn't know it was going to take six years. thought it was going to take two. But still, it's a two-year project is going to be a huge project. You can't just like start. You have to start breaking it up. Okay, how do I approach it? Where do I begin? What do I do next after that? You have to start chopping it up into little things that are manageable. A two-year yeah. thing is so overwhelming to yes. even think about that if you approach it as one big thing, you're just going to fail. You're, 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 it's too much. So, yeah. if you think about just that step one, you can handle it. It could be like, what, what do I need to do in the first week of this project? And then even then, break up that first week into days and those days into... <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're just getting into task management now. Yeah. Um, but but it's, it's huge to be able to be, uh, break your, your tasks, any task, not just projects, any yeah. task into manageable sized ones. Yeah, that's the best advice. Turn the... Turn the the big project into small project, but you might not know how to do that because you've never done a project this big. And that's where maybe some advice from someone who knows what happens on a project like that mm -hmm. uh, goes on. Timing. Well, it, it might just take a few failures. You might start some big projects and fail and then you'll learn from them and eventually you'll start a big project that you'll succeed at. That's okay. Anything you do, any, I mean, a project is a, an experiment in a way. It's, it's like a painting. Um, you're going to have failed paintings before you have successes. 
you know, the the bad thing is if like if you start a project that's gonna you know take a year and then you end up just not going about it in the wrong in the right way, that's like that's a long time to learn how to handle big projects. But still, it's a very important skill to have. Yeah. In creating anything, if you're starting a YouTube channel, that's a big project. If you're starting a career, that's a big project. And so you have to be able to think about big things like that in a smart way. So start early, start failing early. Yeah. Matt, Mad Piggy asked a question. Okay. Uh, but what is I, it? it's disappeared now. <laughs> what it, and Mad Piggy sounds familiar. Do I know you, Mad Piggy? Uh, uh, Mad Piggy? Uh, there you go. May, okay, we found it. Could Marshall tell us more about the composition course he is teaching in February? Ooh, oh, yes, nice I could. Promo. Uh, Monday nights will be composition, and Tuesday nights will be Vance Kovacs and I uh, doing art lessons. Art lessons from Marshall and Vance. We've done this for four terms, and we're going to start doing it on our, our own. We're going to make it as cheap as we can make it. And uh, I like teaching alongside Vance, and he demos too. So that's that's the rough plan for February. But get on, me, get on my email list and you will not need to ask those questions because you will hear from us. When, as soon as we've got something that the dates are firm and the cost is firm, you will hear from us. Marshall Vandruff in Google. You'll find his website. Yeah. Someone older than Marshall here. <laughs> Another. Stan. What? What? It's a question for me. Okay. Stan, which comedy bit in your instructional videos are you most proud of? <laughs> Oh, there's so many. Um, I don't know. I've hey, lost track. Good. What? <laughs> Let's see. One, one that I really enjoy just still is the, um, the pickup lines that Skelly did. That was a long time. I think that was the pelvis. That was before my time. That was before yeah. John even worked here. Oh, God. Yeah, I really like the the pickup lines, Skelly pickup lines. The the one that took the longest oh, is also a Skelly bit. I'm really proud of Skelly. Those we spent so much time on those, and that like the, the, way too much time. The one for the abs. Um, we did a whole bit where Skelly at the end of the episode is just really sad at a party and he's drinking beer and we had to figure out how to get fluid effects to come down his rib cage and, and it took us like 40 hours to figure it out just for like a 10 second thing at the end of the episode. It was such a waste of time and it wasn't even funny. It ended up just being so stupid. Um, so that's what I'm not proud of. <laughs> But the beginning, the beginning of the abs episode where the party begins, I think that's funny. Yeah, the baby through the pelvis was the most successful one. That one became a gif or jif and it just, it went viral. Um, I don't know how many views that thing has now, like a million, just the jif. Uh, so... Yeah, that well, was, that was a big project you took on. That was a big project you took on and learned not to do it again. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. From there, yeah, we, we stopped doing any kind of complicated animations after that. Yeah. Okay, what's your thing? I'm sorry okay, yeah. to interrupt. I've been teaching watercolor this semester after having taken a break from it for quite a few years. And you would never come to me as a watercolor teacher because I'm a good watercolorist. I'm not. 
watercolor is a really demanding thing. It's like a sport that you can get good at a sport, but a coach is not necessarily the best athlete. But I'll tell you, I'm still teaching watercolor because I am interested in the medium and I do love the medium and I want to get good with it. But I am a good watercolor teacher and I do bring students to their best. And I've been getting out my tons of watercolor palettes. I've got so many of them I put together for demos. And so I'm getting excited about the fact that watercolor, you can cover a lot of paint area in a quick amount of time, that it is not a control freaks medium. It can be. I'm a control freak and I like to go in there and do dry brushing like you're using a pencil, a colored pencil, but you can also lift it up and do other things with it. But the great strength of watercolor as a medium is that when it's wet, you can't predict what's going to happen. And so there's a thrill like live performing that I'm going to put this water into here and make it happen. And that's part of the rush of what makes people continue to study watercolor. And I, I will in the next year or two offer a watercolor boot camp where you'll do all the watercolor exercises you want to. And that's the thing I'm interested in that gets me excited. Okay. I'm done with mine. Your turn. Okay. Uh, my thing is called Rome Research. It's a note-taking app that I just started getting into. And um, it's kind of new. It's in beta, uh, but it's already an extremely powerful tool. Now, Marshall, How's it spelled? R-O-A-M or R-O-M-E? R-O-A-M. R-O-A-M Research. It's kind of a weird name for a, like a note-taking app. But people just mentioned, call it in Rome, I think. Um, but the reason it's so powerful is that you can... So it's like, it's bullets, but you know how traditional bullet-taking apps, there's only one, one uh, parent and then you go underneath and, and that. You can't do bi-directional linking between notes. Um, so with this, you could link one bullet to the, like a bullet above it or to somewhere else. And it's like a, uh, an infinite grid. You can connect anything to anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but it's in a bullet format and it's, um, it's just so powerful the way it works. Yeah. Um, and you could use it to build uh, a knowledge base that you could refer to, um, like after years of using it, it's really, it becomes very powerful the more you put into it because, yeah. you know, you start writing something about gesture, you can, you can create a page on gesture and it immediately shows you everything you've ever said about gesture in your notes. It, it but just, you, you do have to manually link. You, you, you can manually, manually link when you specifically want to link to things, but every single page or bullet thing you create, it has suggested links as well. Ah. that it thinks um, is related to the thing you're talking about right now or you're taking notes on right now and you can open it up and you can, and you can just say like, oh yeah, these two, I actually really do want to link back to this and it'll just, it'll link it. Um, and so it's like your map of everything, how it's related is just so much more powerful with this. I really like it. There's a lot of tutorials now on, on YouTube and other uh, websites on how, to, how other people are using it. Um, people are using it for their like their daily journals. Their um, what else are they using it for? Like taking notes in books, um, all sorts of stuff. Plan but planning things. Um, it, it compares keywords, so that's how it makes suggestions. I assume. Yeah, and 
But bi-directional linking is like the big thing here is you can, you yeah. can connect anything to anything else. You don't have to make a hierarchy of bullets. Um, yeah, yeah, that sounds wonderful. I ha yes. used a program in the 1990s called Fair Witness that I was living in and then they discontinued that program and I switched to Omni Outliner in the, the 2000s and uh, I live in Omni Outliner, but there's some limitations. There's some gripes I've got about it. So, uh, I am interested, Stan. Yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll show you more, but so this is their website. Um, oh, uh, by the way, it's not free. Uh, it is a paid app. So, unfortunately, there, there is like a 30-day trial, but it is like $15 a month. But it, yeah. You, have to, you have to subscribe to it? Yes, it's not a oh, free app. I'm out. If you have to subscribe and pay every month, I'm just out. Wait, why? I, I don't want to have to subscribe and pay every month. I want to buy an app that I can use uh, and not have to pay them a subscription. Um, there's the believer a, plan. You could pay $500 for five years. Um, no, but no. no, I mean, I could just show you, Marshall. And, and the, like, to me personally, so far, $15 a month is extremely uh, cheap for how much value it brings me. Yeah. It's so much better in organizing my thoughts that it's like $15 a month. Like, it's so much more useful to me than my Netflix subscription and all that. Like, yeah. it, it's, it's a no-brainer. I, yeah. I spend so much more money on coffee every, every month. Um, and they're not sponsoring this or anything. I really just like this app. Okay. Uh, but well, wait, I was excited really, about the You really app, just hate paying monthly for things? I'm just not going to, no, it's just, it, I, I'm not interested in the subscription thing unless there's no other option and I've got another program that's working for me so no, they're not going to make me Interesting. Uh, pay $15 No, It's just, it all adds up to the point where you have this extraordinary monthly expense and uh, I'm just not into it. So, that's one way that I'm just too closed-minded that but, unless something I have to do. But it's, it's kind of, it's a similar thing. Like if you buy an app and then they're constantly updating it. You have to buy the next version. And when you have to buy an app one time, it's usually like a few hundred bucks. And then the next year, you have to buy it again for the next version for a few hundred bucks. So, it I ends know. up being, you know, $10, $15 a month. <laughs> well, here's so. what you can do. You can make me, you can make me feel uh, that your use of Rome. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Rome. Your use of Rome is making you so much more creative. <laughs> I'll show that you. You convince me. Okay. Just you guys, if you are interested, just go watch you, some YouTube videos on it. People have made really good tutorials. I'm not going to try to convince you, but it's I really like it, Marshall. I'll show you its power later. Yeah. It's not okay. something I could talk. You know, I'd have to explain yeah, it to you for like 30 minutes. Okay, There's, look at all the hearts. Stan. That's ridiculous. The how many hearts? Wow. Wow, I feel happy. Yeah. These hearts are like, they are emotional nutrition. I'm swimming in love. Oh, I feel the same way. Our day is made. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, we should do this every episode. We should just yeah. live stream record all our episodes. <laughs> just record this and this reminds us we are loved even <laughs> hey, if they aren't here. It's like looking at a picture of someone who loves you. <laughs> Um, no scrub. Okay. Wait, what does that say? What does that say? Someone said something to me. Stan, I still can't forgive you for saying no scrub is from Destiny's Child. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> nah, it's okay. Um, okay. Sorry. Yeah. I have yeah. to go. So, what do we do? Yeah. Well, we're done. It's 3.05. Okay. We're, we're done. done. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for being here live. This is the first time we've done it live. This was exciting. There was a lot of, uh, a, a lot of good things here. Uh, so, we're, we're done. Thanks for being here. Thank you, everybody.